Amen, amen. I tell you, what you see there, it's the best sermon you'll ever hear. Even if you think I'm strange, just read that. Because <laughs> that's what our conscience is bound by, but what it says in the Scripture. Well, as you know, I'd like to encourage you to read the Word. So I want to encourage you today to read Psalm 147, verses 10 through 11. I believe I told you that once before, but... I want to bring it up again, especially in light of today's message. Psalm 147, verses 10 through 11. And also want to encourage you to to be in prayer, just like the song. You know, always be in prayer. Find someone to pray with all the time. Because prayer is is just our communication with God. And lastly, I always want to encourage you guys to pray that maybe God will use you to tell someone about Jesus. You know, to tell the freedom that you have. In Christ, for all is done in Him. To say that, hey, there is more to this world than what you see, and His name is Jesus. So let's go to the Lord then in prayer as we start today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being just so awesome. Truly awesome. Just beyond our comprehension, Lord. Thank you for giving us your word that we can go to to know you and understand your character and, and understand everything about you and what you have done for us. Thank you for giving us your word, Lord, that reveals the truth about us and our desperate need of you. God, be with us today as we are just sitting here, whether we're listening online or amongst each other, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that you convict us of our sins. God, we are so good at justifying our sins. We're so good at being blinded or blinded by our sins, Lord. We just don't even want to look at them or we ignore them. God, reveal it to us. Show us, Lord, what you sent your son to die for. Help us, Lord, to turn from them, to run from them, to, to, have, to grow a distaste for them and grow an ever-growing taste for you, Lord, to just want to be so invested and, and just overwhelmed by your love for us. Lord, be with all the churches meeting across the world in whatever capacity. Be with all the missionaries and Christians. God, because we are in this together as one big group, as one big family, even though we do not see them, Lord, we are with them. And they are with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a wonderful fellowship. So God, help us to remember that. And fill us, us, Lord, with your love, hope, and peace so we can live this faith out consistently before you, Lord, that others would take notice and say, I want that too, that others would say, I want to know Jesus. You can do that, Lord, even with our failings. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the, the, this gospel, right, is, is, is freeing good news. That is, it's the best news you ever hear, and the news we're called to dwell on all the time, and it's... It's the news that is burden-breaking over us. Because it says every day that you wake up through faith in Christ, you are fully and unconditionally loved by God. And nothing will ever change that. That's good news. Not your sins of yesterday or your sins of today or your sins of tomorrow. None of that will change His love over you. The pressure of of getting yourself right before God in this world. The stress of finding what makes your life worth living. 
that nagging and exhausting pull of the world saying to you, you got to find the power within yourself to make it, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that's no longer upon us anymore. We no longer have to wake up to this oppressive mindset that anymore, you know, because through Christ, we are now free. We're free people. We're free from this. All is dependent upon you. You're on your own. Don't you dare make a mistake with your family, with your job, with your neighbors, or with whatever. We're no longer chained to this torturous idea of one misstep will blow it all. How many missteps have we had in our past? And we think, oh, I'm suffering for it. No. God redeems. We're free from this. Well, guess what? You're going to end up being nothing if you make mistakes. You're going to end up being a failure and no one's ever going to come to your rescue. But that's not true of us. That's not true of the gospel. That's not true of Christ. He ran towards us. We are his children now through faith in him. We are children of the Most High whose love and favor that we have upon us, no matter the mistakes or failures in our life, he works it all for our good in him. He is our complete rescuer. He is the one who rescues us even from our own mistakes. Through faith in Christ, we are no longer bound to live as slaves to this world with its lies and threats. We are a free people now who can live boldly in the honest truth of Psalm 37, 23 through 24. I love Psalm 37. That is just my psalm. I recommend you read it. But this, this, this verse particularly. The steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. That's a promise we can lean into. See, the gospel says because of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ lived the life that we could not live, a sinless life. And he died the death we deserved. He took the wrath that was upon us. And then he came back to life to give us what we could not earn, forgiveness, peace, and restoration with God, to give us salvation through faith in him alone. So our lives then are now fully protected by God who is always working everything out. We can never forget that. He's always working everything out, even our failures for our good in him now. That's your direction of life. That's how you live, whether you know it or not, when you have faith in Jesus. Our weakness reveals his grace. For Jesus has done it all for us, and we are to look to him by faith now for our all. For us, our lives now are adjusting to that truth that we are completely free in Jesus Christ. When we fall, he picks us up. When we stumble, he stabilizes us. As we get dirty, he cleans us up. See, and and that's the struggle in our life, this recalibrating to a life that lives from freedom that we already have in Christ. Not to get freedom, we have it living to trust him more and more every day that he is working that freedom in us by faith alone in him. This process, if if I can call it that, this process of not relying upon ourselves for, for anything and not relying upon anything else other than Jesus to be the source of all that we are in this world now. That is the battle of our faith. That's the battle we have every day. 
to live from the security that we have in Jesus Christ over our souls, over our destiny, over all that we are. That is the struggle we face every day because there's a little bit in us that doesn't want to believe it. Hence, that's why we sin and fall into sin. There is this constant battle of our faith in Jesus to to turn from our ways, to turn from our ideas, to turn from our traditions, to turn from self and and, in all of our interactions with others and to turn to Jesus, to have him empower, to have him guide, to have him define all of it in us and through us and about us all by faith in him. Our lives are defined by him now. To have his character, to have his glory, to have his love, his kindness, his grace shine through us all by our empty hand of faith reaching out to him. The joy and the promise of the gospel is that Christ has freed us from living a life that is all focused on you at the expense of others. To a life now that is all focused on Christ and his expense for you. That is this wonder of the gospel and also our empowerment. The gospel says God saw you in your helpless estate. He saw and he knew all the sins you would commit, past, present, future, all of it. He saw you and I as rebels against him and out of his love, he wanted to save us and wanted to adopt us and love us as his own children, even though we fail him constantly. And it's that unconditional, mind-bending, never-ending love for us that changes us through faith in Christ. And we are, and, and, and so we're going to look at that today and learn about today, about that, about, uh, we're going to learn about that today, as our, our, our title says, Gracious Gospel Love. That's what we're going to look at. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. So for our context, right, setting everything up, Paul has just finished saying that through faith in Christ, in verse, in verse 1 of verse 5, he's that we are loved by God as his dear children, and from, that, and, and from that love that is now over us and directed at us, we are to imitate or reflect God's love in our life. And Paul could have just led it, left it there, because that's just, that's just intense as it is. But remember, this, this love of God for sinners, as you and me, is radical in nature so completely different than what we're used to seeing in this world. It is the core of the gospel of the grace of God. And through faith in Christ now, it is the core of who we are. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, when Paul says, walk in love, Paul is actually coming in with a weighty command that is not meant for you and I to kind of just glance over and be like, yeah, I'm called to love. I get it. I hear it every week. We're supposed to love. I get it. Can we move on, John? We're called to love people. And that brings us to our first point. Gracious gospel love is to encompass all your life. Paul is telling us to say, look at what I'm saying. You are to walk in love all the time. You are now to have your whole lifestyle 
all your habits, all your behaviors, all of your feelings, all of your thoughts, all of your interaction, all of your words, all of your statements on politics and political figures, all of your conversations with your family, even those who cannot stand you or who make your life hard. Or when you have to interact with a neighbor or a co-worker who's just a thorn in your side that just pierces the very soul. And all the mundane stuff in life, like standing in those long lines when you're late to a function to just have the cashier be completely rude to you and then mess up your purchase and you're standing there and everyone's looking at you and you're like, I'm just trying to buy this. Why aren't you getting it right? Or when you're talking to your spouse, I'm sorry, or when you're talking and then your spouse rudely interrupts and interjects themselves into the conversation that they were not even part of, but yet they wanted to give their two cents and you're looking at them like, what in the world's happening? You're called to respond in love. Everything about you is to be done in love. Everything. Everything is to be done in and from love. It doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the injustice. It doesn't matter even the stupidity. (laughs) Whatever situation you are in, whoever you are interacting with, wherever you are in this world, including your car as you drive, everything about you is to be done in love. Walk in love. And not that mushy-gushy stuff. Like, ooh. I love you. No, no, no. Don't do that. Back off. <laughs> no, the love he is he, it's, he's speaking on is seeking the highest good for others. Irrelevant of the return. Irrelevant of what you get out of it. Irrelevant of the rejection that may come with it. You and I now as Christians are called to live a life of love. Walk in love. There are no exceptions to this statement, though we love to make exceptions to that statement. So yes, even the person that hates you. Yes, even the person who hurts you or your loved ones. Yes, even the person who has or is ruining your life right now. You are called to walk in love towards that person. Now for clarity, make sure I'm clear here, being caught... That doesn't mean you're called to purposely put yourself in a harmful situation, okay? Or keep putting yourself in a harmful situation, okay? But it does mean that your heart, at least, is called to not be wanting evil to be done to them. But rather, your heart, that's, that, that's here, Your heart is called to be seeking and praying for the highest good to happen to them. Irrelevant of what you get out of it. Walk in love. See, that that statement is not just a simple statement, but a command to live out in our life consistently and indiscriminately. So you might ask then, okay, but what does that look like? Come on, what does that really look like, John? Let's be practical here. Let's get around to the nitty-gritty. You know, can I have some concrete examples of something that maybe I can measure up to? 
get a little list going, a little checkoff list, like, mm, did that, mm, did that, ooh, got to work on this one. I'll do that tomorrow. Okay? Paul answers us. Okay? He answers us, but his answer is meant to tear apart any list that we might have or even want. To literally just burn it away. Like, oh, I don't want that. He lets the the, the law here set in so that you and I have to give up and realize this type of love that he's speaking of here, it's not something that we muster up on our own, nor it's something that we master on our own. We're like, "Mm, I'm so loving. You're not. He lets the law reveal that we have nothing in our hands to do such love. So that when we look at this verse again, we are forced to reach out empty hands of faith to the one who can do such love through us. So Paul then gives us the example and the source for this love. He says we are to walk in love as Christ loved us. Us and gave himself up for us. And here is the crushing and empowering truth when you read that, that, that's it. And this brings us to our second point. Gracious gospel love is found in Christ alone. When we look to Christ, we see the very definition of love revealed to the world we see how truly he sought the greatest good of others without seeking his own advantage, but the advantage of others over his own advantage who do not deserve it. So let me be blunt. When you look to Christ and how he lived on this earth, read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, recommend it. If we are honest, it seemed that he loved all of the wrong people who did not deserve his love. Now, obviously, we're all sinners, okay? And no one deserves his love, okay? But to be contemporary here for a moment with this passage, okay, to be contemporary. In our standards, according to man, Christ, through his life, loved all the people who you and I would most likely turn away from coming to this church. Who, if you saw and you knew what they had done or were doing, and if they were sitting in one of those chairs out there on one side of the room, you probably would move to the other side and greet them from afar, if at all. And if you say, well, how dare you say that about me, John? You're not being honest. For I promise there are limits to your love. I know there is limits to mine. And that's the point of this passage. We don't love as we should, and he's calling us to love like Christ. You can't do it. You and I have not mastered a Christ-like love. We have not mastered this walking in love. But we are in dire need of Jesus to promote his love in us through faith alone in him. 
For our love is faulty, but his love is perfect. And if you think you can do this on your own and have been doing it just well, you have a very, very, very low view of of God's law. Because the law demands perfection right now, not progression. He wants perfect, perfect people. And guess what? We all fail. The only one who loved perfectly was Christ. And that is who we're we're called to love like. And again, as you read through the Gospels, he loved those who were deemed unholy, deemed wretched, and irrelevant, and unclean, and unlovable, and unloving. Jesus loved those who did not fit the mold of what is holy, just, and right, and lovable. And guess what? That's you and me. Which is why Paul says in verse 2, Loved us and gave himself up for us. The us means Paul, the Ephesians, you and me, the person in front of you, the person behind you, the person sitting next to you. Christ loves you, the wretched sinner who does not fit the mold of what is holy, what is just, and what is right. People who do not love the way they should. Yet Christ loves you. He loves us. It says in Romans 5, 6, if you think I'm crazy, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, you. Paul says again in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Paul here is saying in Ephesians that you and I were on Christ's line. All your sins all your struggles and your failures, all the stupid arguments and horrible things that you have done to people, maybe even those closest to you that they won't forgive you for, all those things that haunt you in your nightmares that you're trying to hide from your past because, oh, please, I don't want anyone to ever know that I did that. All those wretched thoughts that keep tempting you that because you've looked at things or done things and it keeps coming back into your mind. All those sins that you will commit in the future that may be even worse than what you did in the past that you think, I would never do that. Those sins too that you don't even know that you're going to do. Paul here is saying your whole life was before Christ and he, out of his love for you, us, willingly gave himself up for you to die in your place, to live a sinless life, a perfect life, fulfilling all the law, on your behalf because you could never do it and you can never measure up to it. Yes, he gave himself up for you and me even with our current wretched hate or perversion or worry or fear or greediness or addiction or unforgiveness or unrighteous judgments that we are struggling with right now in our heart that maybe the Spirit is convicting you over because you've been ignoring it and not wanting to give it up because you don't want to love that person because they don't deserve your love. Yet we must remember we didn't deserve Christ's love and he he still willingly went to the cross. He went to face the eternal torment of hell on your behalf to die for your personal wretched sins against humanity and more directly against God himself. God the Son loved you so much 
that even though you had no love for him, he came to save, he came to redeem, even though objectively there was nothing worth redeeming. For we all deserve God's wrath. But God the Father, out of his love for us, and God the Son, who came out of his love for us, he came to save sinners who are in need of a loving Savior. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Christ came out of love for us. He loved those who according to his standards of perfection, his standards of holiness, his standards of righteousness were not attractive. We didn't fit the mold. We had no merits to earn this love, this grace, because everything we do is tainted with sin. And yet, lovingly and graciously, Christ came to give himself up, as Paul says here, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ was the fragrant offering, not us. We were the stench that Christ came willingly to cover with his love so that we could be a pleasing aroma to God. He was the sacrifice. He is the one that willingly let himself be slaughtered in our place. He did it out of his love for us so we could be saved by his blood, sweat, and tears and not our own. Because our blood, sweat, and tears would amount to nothing. Christ, out of love for you, did everything for you so he could be your everything. All through faith in him alone. I want to make something clear. Paul is not saying we are to die to redeem people like Christ did. Don't get this crazy Messiah complex. For only Christ can redeem people. He was the only perfect one. We cannot atone for people's sins. Only Christ could. So when Paul points out Jesus being a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Paul is saying Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices. All of that was done by him alone, and he fulfilled the law for us. So what Paul is saying is that we are to reenact the principle of what love is ultimately, which, is, which was and is seen in Christ's love for us. And that brings us to our, our last point. Gracious gospel love is sacrifice for others. Christ's sacrifice for us, him meeting our needs over our own, him seeking our highest good over his own. Christ, the one who is to be served, came to serve the undeserving sinners, us. It's that principle we're called to live by in all of our relationships and interactions. When you look at Christ and what he did, it was costly to him. It cost his life. It was a deep, sacrificial love towards us for our good, for our betterment. And that is the love, the type of love we're called to live out then in our life. Now, obviously, we can't do or live that way on our own, at least not to that perfect standard of Christ. But when you think on what was done for you, his sacrifice for us, this This, consequently, should melt our heart 
so that it will be molded by his hands to reflect his sacrificial love in our life, in whatever we are doing or wherever we are. He is the source of it all. I mean, when you think that you will never have to deal with the rejection of God, but rather you get to deal with the love of God for all of your life now through faith in Christ alone, that should empower you to never worry about the rejection of anyone else in this world. That should free you to love people around you with no conditions, with no strings attached. For the source of love is not from you anymore, but to you from God through faith in Christ. See, seeing that God affirms you now with his unconditional love as his beloved child frees you from finding any affirmation of love from anyone else. And his love becomes the source in which you begin to sacrificially invest uplift, empower, serve, help, be kind to, be gracious to, to people. You just end up doing that. People who don't deserve any of it because you're too consumed with Christ's undeserving, or his undeserved love and sacrifice for you. You're able to sacrificially give yourself to others rather than take from others because by looking to Jesus alone, you have all you need in him. Because of his sacrifice for you directly as a person. Love becomes all about giving sacrificially and not taking. Even if we fail to do this, which we will, and I know I, know I do all the time. If you hang around me enough, trust me, you will feel unloved at some point. But I can rest and you can rest in God's grace. This gospel promise of all is finished in Christ. For by his gracious love, he picks us back up. He sets us back on the right course by reminding us that we have been fully forgiven. And his power is greater than our sin, for we are free in him. And then in turn, then, this love from Christ, which we see in the gospel, it creates our hearts to become loving even when we are weak. Because we are acknowledging our weakness without him. And through that, then, we become strong. Strong by relying upon his power to walk in the sacrificial love as he loved us and gave himself up for us. So today, then, with all this, we're going to take the Lord's Supper as a reminder.